The Irish Times Inside Politics podcast is going to be holding another live event. This one is in central Dublin on Thursday, May the 16th at 8am. We are going to be in Medley in Dublin too. We only have a few tickets left, so if you want to join me in conversation with head of Ipsos polling in the US, Cliff Young, along with Pat Leahy and Jennifer Bray, looking at the polling in Ireland in the run-up to the European and local elections, just go to irishtimes.com slash events where you can get your tickets. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f? Are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's Saturday, December the 17th and you are very welcome to this special Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. Before we start, one last call for our special Ask Me Anything show, which we're going to be recording in just a couple of days' time and we'll be putting it out over Christmas. Simply mail your question in text or in audio form to politicspodcast at irishtimes.com. That's politicspodcast at irishtimes.com. Now, today saw the resignation of Michal Martin as Taoiseach, followed promptly by the appointment of Leo Varadkar as his successor. So it was on that level an historic day, but also perhaps a largely unsurprising one. I'm joined by Pat Leahy, Jack Horgan-Jones and Jennifer Bray, who've been following proceedings all day. Pat, what happened? Uh, hi, Hugh, and uh, hello from Leinster House, where we all are on the Saturday before Christmas. Can't think of anywhere I'd rather be. Um, uh, so what happened today, Hugh, was more or less exactly as we had been expecting and predicting for the last couple of weeks. The big switcheroo in government took place with a minimum of fuss, really. Um, Michal Martin went, as expected, to foreign affairs. Leo Varadkar slips into the Taoiseach's office. Simon Coveney shuttles over to Kildare Street to the Department of of enterprise and that's it with the changes apart from the fact that Simon Harris who remains as Minister for Higher Education will take stewardship of the Department of Justice until Helen McEntee returns from her maternity leave next summer. That's I suppose the one surprise today and previously it had been Heather Humphreys who was taking temporary control of that brief but she already has two departments. She's got a rural development and she has social protection. So um, so Leo Varadkar has taken justice off her and given it to Simon Harris. Hildegard Nocton, as we predicted in this morning's front page story, goes to Chief Whip and the other super juniors uh, remain in the cabinet. That's Pippa Hackett, Pippa Hackett at Agriculture and Jack Chambers, who moves to the Department of Transport as, uh, as a super junior. No other junior ministers announced today We're expecting those to happen after a cabinet meeting next week, which we're told is likely to happen on Wednesday. So, I mean, I think it would be unfair to say that it's been a bit of an anti-climax here, Hugh. More, it has been a testament to the excellent predictive powers of the political press corps in getting everything or almost everything to the readers 
before it actually happened. The only other major disappointment of the day here is that we're told they're closing the bar at seven o'clock, which um, has provoked the sort of response uh, that you would expect. Right. Well, there's plenty of bars just across the road from you there, given that you're in the you're in the centre of Dublin. Um, should you be interested in such a thing? But Jen, I mean, minimalism was predicted and minimalism happened. And even on the spectrum of minimalism, this was on the low end, doesn't it? It was, yeah. I mean, look, of course, in the lead up to any reshuffle um, or indeed appointment of a new cabinet um, after formation of government, there's always a lot of paranoia that takes over in the days before. There's always a lot of kind of apprehension. People start briefing that they've heard this, that and the other. And then journalists start asking questions and politicians start getting worried. And all of that played out in, in the last couple of days, um, especially the last two or three days. But like Pat said, what we actually saw was exactly what we expected. Um, I suppose there's one or two things um, Pat mentioned in relation to Simon Harris, keeping higher education and also taking justice until the return of Helen McEntee. Um, the other, I suppose, area that might be interesting over the next couple of days is Jack Chambers. So basically, you might have seen these tweets and, and kind of suggestions that went out from Paul Coors today that there was kind of a rumour doing the round that there might be a surprise cabinet um, appointment and it could be, you know, mischief making perhaps on the behalf of some TDs. But the, the rumour that went around Leinster House was that Jack Chambers was going to take the role in the Department of Health. Uh, unseating Stephen Donnelly. Now, obviously, that turned out to be absolutely untrue. But I think the fact of the matter is his team had no idea, um, as did none of the teams. I mean, I've, I talked to advisors who were packing their bags because they thought they were leaving, you know, or packing their offices up. And anytime we text anybody in government in any rank asking what was going on, we'd get a text back usually saying, you guys will know before us. Um, but but just on Jack Chambers, I think there'll probably be a bit of disappointment there because perhaps he did expect uh, a greater role. You know, he impressed in, Vinega- in Fianna Fáil, I'm told, uh, in his role as Chief Whip. Um, and uh, I think perhaps maybe he might have. Now, his new role will be Minister for International and Road Transport and Logistics at the Department of Transport, as well as Minister for Postal Policy at the Department of Environment. Um, but I, I do believe there's a bit of disappointment in, in his camp with that. Um, and I'd say if there's any potential for anything really interesting, it'd probably be around the juniors now, which we expect early next week. It still doesn't seem to be totally nailed down. Probably Tuesday or Wednesday, most likely, most likely Wednesday. Um, and I'd be interested to see who gets the role, for example, of um, international or European affairs, you know, the role currently held by, by Thomas Byrne. Um, you know, there's a lot of speculation about Neil Richmond, about Jennifer Carroll McNeil. Um, so I'd say that'd be one to keep an eye on. So, Jack, Stephen Donnelly, who, you know, there was supposedly a sword hanging over his head a couple of months ago, and then gradually we, uh, um, the, the, the tide turned. Uh, there's, uh, Miriam Lord has always had a nice turn of phrase a couple of days ago. She said that his career, having been in the death's door for a while, I think she said, was, was sitting up and, and eating a soft-boiled egg. And so uh, we did definitely predict that he was going to make it. What caused that turnaround over the last couple of months? Is it just a case of that fear of rocking the boat that comes with cabinet reshuffles in, in Irish governments? There's a couple of things um, underscoring it, I think. Um, first of all, uh, I mean, since since the pandemic kind of subsided, uh, Steve Donnelly has not had any disasters. Um, he hasn't presided over any major uh, political or healthcare controversies. And he hasn't really put a foot wrong in terms of media interviews. Um, so I think that like, you know, an immediate stick to beat him with was not presented. Um, and I think also, you know, we shouldn't forget that 
because he is a Michal Martin guy, he's a Michal Martin appointment, um, there would be inherent in him getting the bullet an admission that Michal Martin got it wrong. And I think so long as Michal Martin intends to hang around as leader of Fianna Fáil, um, and as he states himself, lead the party into the next general election, uh, any admission of fallibility on his own behalf would be seen as giving uh, ammunition to his own enemies within the parliamentary party. And then I think there was also um, at least a sense that he was making progress on some of the kind of big moving parts within health, some of the non-pandemic challenges, uh, some of the more chronic issues. So I was picking up some frustration during the summer um, from government buildings, the, that, that progress hadn't been made on things like the consultant contract. He obviously brought the consultant contract to cabinet uh, two weeks ago. Now, it remains to be seen whether it will be endorsed uh, by the representative groups advocating on behalf of the hospital consultants and the degree of pickup. But he brought it to cabinet. It was a box ticked to that extent. Similarly, he brought a proposal for elective hospitals and more interestingly, this proposal for surgical hubs to be set up around the country, which apparently are going to be this kind of um, supercharged solution to waiting lists. So he at least was able to hold out a kind of credible policy proposal uh, that had cabinet approval on one of those big longstanding issues. Uh, and I think all those things kind of coalesced. Um, and, you know, also it's true in, in politics as in law, you know, possession is a nine-tenths of the law and sometimes it can be harder to dislodge someone. Um, as Jen said, you know, this part of the Stephen Donnelly is going to be dropped is the idea, was the idea that Jack Chambers would be the one to benefit and, and be promoted to cabinet. And um, as Jen has already outlined, you know, there's a good degree of annoyance emanating from Jack Chambers' camp, not necessarily that he hasn't been put into cabinet, although I think there is an overriding question of when people of that kind of calibre who are seen as potential future leaders, definitely potential future cabinet ministers, when are they going to be blooded? Like I saw Jack Chambers sitting in the, in the, in the chamber tonight, you know, he looked positively funereal next to Simon Harris, a man of, you know, the same political generation as him and a similar political trajectory um, who has been in cabinet for five years. So uh, I think that, you know, there's there, there's that question for Jack Chambers as well. But, you know, I think his annoyance probably is, is less about not getting elevated to cabinet and more about, you know, the, the, the shifting nature of his brief and the fact that he looks likely to lose sport uh, to Fine Gael, uh, which is a good news department. So um, that in a, in a nutshell is the story of Stephen Donnelly and a little bit of the story of, of Jack Chambers. And in a way, partly the story of Michal Martin as well, Pat, in that these sort of pitfalls for party leaders, that was that was one potentially for Michal Martin. But the other one is is his own position. And in in this morning's Irish Times, there was some speculation about this, although it seemed increasingly clear that he was going to go, as it has turned out to be the case, to the Department of Foreign Affairs rather than, say, to the Department of Enterprise. <laughs> and a couple of um, Fianna Fáil uh, members who we talked to this morning expressed some concern about that, basically saying that the Department of Foreign Affairs swanning around the world uh, is is not the best place to lead a party into the next election cycle of election challenges in in two years' time. What do you think about that? I think that Micheál Martin won't lead his party into the next uh, general election, even though we all understand why he has to say that uh, he will, because, of course, if he said he was going to resign before the next election, then the clock immediately starts ticking and power flows away from him. But it's been my expectation for some time that he won't, uh, I, I'm sure I've said it here before, that he won't lead the party into the next election. But I think I think he will lead it if he gets his way uh, into 2024, maybe the early part of, of 2024. So um, 
you know, sticking around and managing the party is maybe not so much of a concern for him. Against that, where I would say, if you go back to his speech at the Cordia Fall dinner, which was kind of an important speech because it was the first time he got to talk directly to the members in that sort of a setting since before COVID. And he did set out uh, what would be a kind of a very activist program of rejuvenation, talking about you know, constituency visits and uh, and so forth for um, which will begin in the early part of the, the new year, he said. So um, we'll see we'll see what will happen with that. I think one of the other things that was pushing Michal Martin into the Department of Foreign Affairs is not so much not just that he did the job before and liked it a lot, but that he wants um, to maintain his influence and Fianna Fáil's influence in northern policy. And, you know, I think one of his legacies as Taoiseach will be the shared island unit, the shared island initiative, which whatever you may think of it, um, and and lots of people find, you know, discussions about the shared island uh, initiative rather turgid and boring, but it's got a very big budget and it is the only forum in which unionists are currently talking to uh, on a cross-border, uh, on a cross-border basis. So um, I, I, I think that a desire to maintain an involvement in that agenda uh, is, is something that he also pushed him towards the Department of Foreign Affairs. Yeah, I take Pat's point about the internal politics of Fianna Fáil there, Jennifer. But I, I mean, apart from the fact that there's a general election coming either at the end of 2024 or the very beginning of 2025, there's also local and European elections earlier in, in that year as well. So the, there's a lot of work, there's a lot of grunt work to be done. And if the impression might be, and it really wouldn't be surprising, would it, that Michal Martin perhaps didn't have quite the appetite for that kind of grunt work now, that would surely, you know start stirring up some dissatisfaction and maybe the rather um the rather gentle glide path um out of the front rank of 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 Irish politics which seems possibly as well to include a potential move to the European Commission um in 2024 that might just all be a little bit too smooth and a little bit too pat for some people yeah, I mean, uh, uh, firstly, whenever, even at this age, whenever anyone says my full name, I always think I'm in trouble. But um, I think a, a gentle glide path is just not something that really exists in politics, generally speaking. Although uh, today might be a case in point of that actually happening. Um, I, I, yeah, there's a couple of things there. I think, you know, this week we kind of, one of the pieces we did for today's paper was myself and Cormac were looking at um, the, you know, what was going on inside Fianna Fáil, what the thinking was about Michal Martin's next move. And one of the things that came across really strongly that I heard from people in different camps, people who would be fans of his and people who absolutely would not, um, all kind of saying that if he decided to take the role of foreign affairs, which he has, as expected, that that would send out a signal to the party that he wasn't, 100% interested in getting involved in the day-to-day stuff, rebuilding the party, addressing the many gripes and many grumblings that continue um, below the surface in, in Fianna Fáil. Um, but that if he had taken, let's say, enterprise uh, and trade, that would send out a signal that he was. So I do wonder now if the, the people who said that to me, whether that actually carries through um, into into reality. Um, the other thing that came up is that Michal Martin has been tipped for uh, the the next uh, EU commissioner role is 2024. It's Fianna Fáil's to gift. Um, you know, the feeling is that if he went for that, if he were successful, that he would actually get a really good portfolio, be, you know, because of his standing and his, his pre- previous roles. But uh, people who I spoke to in Fianna Fáil said there's just no way he can, you know, basically try and 
remain at the helm, not give any indication about what his plans are, not even appoint a deputy leader and then get to 2024 and then say, oh, by the way, I'm off, you know, at a time when they, this will probably be after the local European elections, but a few months before a general election. So I don't think that's going to wash. I think people will look for him in the next couple of months to outline what his plan is or to give an indication. See, the thing is, if he says that he's going to go or if he has a plan in place for succession, the worry was always in politics, you become kind of the sitting, you know, lame duck. You you, you basically have no power left um, because people know you're leaving and people don't respect you anymore, effectively. But if if that's his role, if that's his plan anyway, to go to the EU, to go for a role like that, maybe he will outline a timetable and maybe it doesn't matter. It all depends on whether what his long-term plan is for politics. And as far as I can see, he hasn't really given anything away yet. And then it, we talked about this before, the really obvious question. Okay, so... Who is ready to step into the helm? And one politician gave me this memorable quote for the piece where he said, they just don't have the balls, <laughs> the contenders. They either have no interest or they have no balls. Um, and it's an interesting one because they have been quiet. Yeah, that's a pretty grim portrait of the state of the talent at the top of the Philippe party there, Jack. It is. And, and like, I mean, it comes back to what we were saying about Jack Chambers. Um, and, you know, they, there is a dearth of talent coming through the ranks. Um like I remember when him and Lisa Chambers were elected in 2016, uh, they were seen as, as the the future of the party. Uh, one lost their seat and was in the Shannon, although she remains, she remains active um, and takes on a new role there. And the other one seems to have had something of a ceiling put on his ambitions for now. Um, and it, it's it's true to an extent in Fine Gael as well. You know, we were writing, myself and Simon Carr as well, this big piece on Leo Varadkar uh, a week ago on Saturday, a week ago today, where similar kind of frustrations were outlined, you know, people saying that, um, making the point that Helen McEntee was the only Fine Gael minister that he had appointed to cabinet and that he kind of has an aversion to, to personal com- interpersonal conflict, conflict, which has led to him, you know, not engaging in a, what people say is a necessary process of, of political renewal. And you see that when, you know, we're all sitting up in the gallery and the same group of people trooped in as trooped in this morning in a slightly rearranged uh, order. And the only new face will be the AG uh, sitting at cabinet. And while you can see the political circumstances that have shaped that outcome, um, nonetheless, I think it is while it is potentially unavoidable, you could argue, it is a weakness. And I think that you'll see that weaponized by by Sinn Féin in a big way in the next two and a half years, who will use it as grist to the mill of their argument that like this government in particular, the manner in which it came together, the two big parties effectively coming together in a last bastion style defense of mainstream politics against the insurgent kind of force of Sinn Féin. Um, and, you know, protecting insider politics and protecting each other. Same faces, same faces for more than a decade. Uh, and it's a problem, I think, for them. Um, but it, that's something that they'll be aware of. And they will have made these choices, I think, with their with their eyes wide open. Yeah, I wonder, I don't know what you think, Pat. I mean, one of the things that strikes me is today is, is the last full chopping day before Christmas. I, I hazard a guess that the vast majority of the population's thoughts are elsewhere rather than on this particular event in, in any significant way. And perhaps we don't pay enough attention on this podcast enough, and perhaps our listeners don't because we're interested in this stuff, to the vast majority of the people who don't pay attention to it most of the time. Do you think these events today, which do have a, you know, they have a constitutional and historical resonance and, and a real meaning, do you think that they'll have any real impact one way or the other on the perception of this government over the next while? Yes and no. Uh, I, I'm not sure that the events of the day 
we'll have it. I think most people will notice that the Taoiseach has changed. But then again, most people were aware that this was part of the deal with this, um, uh, with, you know, with this coalition government that it was going to change halfway. And I think there's a danger for the government that, you know, this has just been seen as uh, the guys shuffling around jobs for themselves uh, mid- mid- midway through. But I, 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 I think where there will be a change and where people will notice a change is in the presentation that Leo Varadkar brings to the role of, of Taoiseach. He's a, you know, he's a, a very different person. He makes a different presentation than, uh, than Michal Martin does. I mean, you know, even Michal Martin's critics were remarking everywhere today about his self-evident decency. And even, uh, you know, if I saw it once, I saw it a thousand times, you know, people saying that, uh, you know, well, you know, even people who disagree with him, uh, you know, all concede that, sure, he's a decent skin uh, and that. And uh, in a way, I suppose that, that, you know, makes him difficult to personally attack in political terms. And, um, you know, without making any judgment whatsoever on his, uh, on his private qualities, uh, I, I don't think that Leo Varadkar's political opponents will be saying about him, uh, saying the same thing about him. You know, whatever you say about Leo, you know, he's very obviously a decent fellow. I'm sure he is in many respects, but uh, I, I, I just think Leo will be a more, he will be a more angular presence as Taoiseach. He will, I think, be more combative and uh, and I think he will bring a very different style to the external presentation uh, of of the government. One of the interesting things will be to see if that extends towards the internal management of government. Because whatever you say, may say about Michal Martin, he was clearly able to manage the government. He kept it together. Everybody was consulted. There was no major blow-ups, or at least no blow-ups between them that threatened the, the future of the government. Um Leo Varadkar has yet to show that he can uh, manage uh, a three-party administration with that same degree of consultation and uh, and externally facing harmony. And he has to do it at a time that will be, in a period that will be different to Michal Martin's period, not least by virtue of the fact that it ends with a general election, not in a midterm switch uh, that everybody sits around and feels, uh, feels at least the government parties at least, feels warmly self-congratulatory uh, about. So this will be a different time and it is a government led by a, d- a different leader. So to that extent, I think people will begin to, 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 notice, uh, to notice a change. And I do wonder what that will, what that will mean, Jen. You know, I mean, he is, as Pat says, he is a, a more angular, arguably a more divisive, a more combative um, figure. So the one wonders what that means, both internally, as Pat says, but also externally, in the way that, in the way that this government is is uh, is perceived, particularly as we move towards as an election, you know, starts 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 moving, starts looming more. Will people think differently about this government from the way they've thought about it previously? I doubt it, to be honest. I doubt that when all is said and done and we get to the the very end of the term that the people who have already made up their mind, perhaps, about the government, that they will have changed their mind. And the reason why I say that is because 
Well, firstly, the, one of the biggest issues in the last election, although it wasn't the like the, things like the pension age took over, you know, which happens in elections, other issues come in. But housing is, you know, one of the biggest crises facing the country. And if you look at the signs for next year, they're quite ominous. There's a slowdown in residential construction building. You know, the CSO stats that were released recently don't bode well for next year. Um, and I think, and there's also obviously that the price of inflation on construction materials is is not improving. And I think if that comes to bear next year and continues into 2024, then the government will not have made headway on on housing or at least enough headway. And that'll be the test will really be, you know, are there still 10,000 homeless people when there's the next election? Are there still nearly a million people waiting on a waiting list to get a health procedure? If that's the case, I don't think the people will have really changed their mind, regardless of Leo Varadkar's um, leadership style in terms of the people who have already made up their mind. Now, there's a significant number of people, I presume, who are, you know, perhaps in the middle somewhere. That remains to be seen. I, I, I wouldn't even dare to, to presume to know what's in the hearts and minds of kind of everybody in Ireland. But yeah, I, I think those who've made up their mind will not change it. And perhaps those in the middle will have to wait and see. Just a few last thoughts on the on the new Taoiseach, Jack. I mean, it's uh, it's interesting that in some ways there's still a sense of we're not quite sure, you know, what to expect out of him as he as he takes this on now. But he's been continuously in government for almost 12 years now. He's been a Taoiseach before. Very few Fine Gael leaders who've been a Taoiseach twice. Very few Fine Gael politicians who've been continuously in government. I don't think any, actually, for as long as, as he has now been. And there's still this question mark about whether he's really a successful politician. Now's the crunch time for that question, isn't it? It is, yeah. Um like he's not really had a successful election as a leader of, of Fine Gael, um, a bunch of bunch of by election losses as well. Um, so I think you know the the jury is still out, and I think that I guess Pat wrote this morning as myself as I wrote last week. You know it'll be curtains for him if he doesn't deliver in the next general election. Um, I think a lot of it depends on like you know he's a bit like the French when they play away like what Leo Varadkar will turn up like will he be the kind of the angular snippy pass remarkable um, presence that we all know he can be or will he be the kind of late twenty nineteen Brexit deal achiever statesman like type figure um, I was talking to some people in Sinn Fein today who are certainly hoping for the former and they see that as as a political weakness of his you know that he could be goaded into saying or doing something that could destabilize the coalition or just you know damage him and and have have him seen in the eyes of voters as a kind of snarky presence um maybe a little petulant or not kind of mature enough to, to hold the office of Taoiseach. Uh, I suspect that he'll try and lean towards the latter and the more statesman-like. Um, and I thought it was interesting that, now I didn't expect him to, but nonetheless it's worthy of remark that in neither of his speeches today um, did he attack Sinn Féin, and Michal Martin did attack Sinn Féin uh, in, his, in his second speech today. Um, I think that like part of, you know, what will shape voter intentions at the next general election is the nature of the challenge facing the second half of this government. The first half of this government was about emergency and crisis, and uh, they showed that they were able to respond to that. They didn't reinvent the wheel in responding to it. They didn't depart from the kind of mainstream normal response that was deployed to both COVID and the cost of living crises in other European countries. The second part is arguably a more conventional political challenge. It's arguably a bigger political challenge because it involves addressing these chronic problems. And, you know, we'll be repeating this until we're blue in the face um, health and housing, all the things associated with them, the, the overlapping crises that we now see manifest in teacher accommodation and nurse accommodation and all the rest of it. And I thought it was interesting that in his speech he outlined four priorities um, 
housing being the first one, combating inflation being the second one, just kind of cost of living. But also children. I thought that was interesting. You talked about new child poverty strategy and they're, they're forming a new unit within the Department of Taoiseach to look at, 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 at children's policy and perhaps take a little bit, a bit of the credit for the cuts in, uh, in childcare fees that are coming down the line. Um, and he also talked about energy independence, which is an interesting one. So it's interesting to see him as well kind of co-opting that part of government into the Department of the Taoiseach and making it a big part of what um, of what it what it does. Uh, he said there'd be new focus in the Department of Taoiseach on, on climate action. Um, so I think that that's the challenge that faces him, uh, you know, make make good on the political promise that he made to many people when he was being elected as leader of Fine Gael and Taoiseach and, uh, you know, solve the solve the health and housing crises that's all very straightforward well the time is now and the time is here cometh the man he's got he's got the reins of power for the next two years and we will see what he does with that we'll leave that there for the moment thanks very much to to jen and to pat and to jack for joining us this evening this podcast is produced by declan Conan. we're going to be back very soon indeed but until then goodbye and thanks very much for listening